Are you still getting it queued up, Sadif? Sorry, I said I was. I, I didn't know what was going oh. on. I was looking something oh. up on. Uh, uh, I was just bringing up Alec Mills. The, the intensity. Sorry. The, yeah, the, no, no, the intensity of how you were looking. I was like, oh, he must really be struggling to get his audio. So, no, yeah. It's a secret I, Ian Hap fanfic. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's not even going to be talking about it. It's just, he found like a fanfic. Uh, Michael, I hope you leave this as like the podcast intro. Like, I hope you figure out some way to, to, to splice this in. In fact, maybe I'll force you by immediately transitioning into. This is Hans Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. Uh, it's presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. And as Mooney alluded, we were uh, you know, chatting as we were kicking off our recording about how much uh, Sahadev Sharma loves Ian Happ and how he thinks he's... <laughs> You know, really the best hitter in baseball. And, um, you know, Sadiq doesn't want that to end up on the podcast. But, you know, he he, he let it bleed in. And so, uh, you know, defend your position, Sadiq. We're joking, obviously. Okay, so I'm kidding. It, it, that's not what he said. But this last month of performance by Hap, which has brought him back to league average hitter territory, which is it's actually quite incredible given where he was a month ago. Oh, yeah. um, obviously, it has forced a lot of conversation about what Hap's doing, how he's doing it, what's sustainable, what's it mean for his role, all that stuff. And we have all found um, in our professional positions that right now, if you mention Ian Hap doing something good, even if you're just literally transcribing, oh, this thing happened that was really good. He hit a (laughs) walk-off home run or he did, you know, whatever. Um, People get really angry. There's a huge contingent of the Cubs fan base right now uh, that just does not want to hear anything good about Ian Happ. So uh, take it away. Say some good things about Ian Happ, Sahadev Sharma. Well, he is at Sahadev Sharma on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ian Happ is a maddeningly inconsistent player who uh, gets production in very uh, non-traditional ways, right? This isn't the guy that is going to hit for a high average and strike out at a low rate. So especially if you grew up on 80s, 90s baseball or older you are going to be frustrated by Ian Happ even when he's playing well. Uh, So I get that uh, polarizing type of player that there are quite a few of them across the league and they have their value. You can't have a lineup full of those guys that we know that we understand that. uh, I I think that should be clear. Uh, What I get frustrated with is and I had this debate in the press box and I I think Ian Happ has obvious flaws, but then people say he he stinks. Like, he's just not good. And that's not true. Like, he's been has an above-average offensive player his entire career until this year. So to say he stinks, you're basing it off just this year. And and then and then all these things get twisted. I got all these responses like, oh, typical Ian Happ starts off slow and stinks until they're out of the race. He's never been good early in the season. You know how many Aprils he's played in? Two. He's played in two Aprils his entire career. Yeah, he's been bad in both those Aprils, but he's had two Aprils. And he's been, like, great in May. Uh, Like, his first half and well, second half numbers are almost exactly the same as far as... Can I add also, plus. I know that the pandemic year is fake in a lot of ways, but his first month his last first month year was, great. was like yeah. MVP level. He carried the yeah. team. I literally got a response. Was like, "Oh, this is exactly what he's done the last three years. Perform, uh, perform when they're out of it." I was like, "The last three years, he wasn't up in 2019, and he was great when he came up and helped them down the stretch when 
that like he was not the reason they fell out of the race in 19. He's only he's one of the main reasons offense was competent in the first half of last year's two month season. And this year he's been bad. There's no like I'm not even going to argue that he was good or or, you know, like he 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 was making the argument early on that that the hard contact wasn't falling. And and you know what? Early on, he was right. But you can't rely on that. Uh, uh, Eventually, results matter and you have to get results. Uh, it's it's perfectly fine. Well, and that to stuff look at that. went away. Also, like the yeah, good con- yeah. the good quality of contact went away. And I talked to him about that. I mean, so he's a different hitter right now. He's a, he's being much more aggressive. He's not taking his walks. He hasn't had a walk since August twenty third. Uh, he should have had a walk last night. The ump uh, blew a call. That's fine. That happens. That's going to happen when you take close pitches with two strikes. Uh, but still, he hasn't walked in a while, and he's being really aggressive. He homered on the second pitch he saw last night. It's working out for him right now. I'm not saying that he's he's not saying that this is who he'll be going forward. It's not like he's going to be. He said, "I don't ever think I'll be a sub five percent walk guy, ten uh, percent ish walk guys who I am." Uh, this is just how it's working for me right now, uh, being aggressive with pitches in the zone, and it it really what happened was when he was when he struggled was he was searching for the results, right? This happens a lot with every player in baseball. You struggle, the struggles mount, you try and focus on the process, but then the struggles continue. You're not getting the results. And then you try and force to get results. That means you swing at pitches that you normally wouldn't swing at. Hap basically said he was searching for contact and that led to the ground balls because he was just like, I'll do anything for contact in his mind. And that led to the ground balls and he just got completely out of whack. Now, the mentality changed, and he and players tell me this all the time, too. This isn't a physical change. It's a mental change. Well, the mental change, they can't think of it as a physical change, right? You talk to a hitting coach. You talk to scouts. They can see little differences with the swing or, or something. But with Hap and a ton of players that I've talked to about this, they, they their thought process changed, and that led to the better results. And then when I finally got to it, when we got to it, he's... I was like, wait, you just said that something changed physically, so it was a mechanical change. He's like, yeah, it was a mental change. He's like, of course, my my mechanics got out of whack when I was pounding the ball into the ground. He's like, but I just changed my mental approach, and, and that led to the results being what they are now, which is hitting the ball in the air. And hitting the ball hard, which is what Hap needs to do when he's when he's going well. Listen, Ian Hap's going to strike out at a way too high rate that people are uncomfortable with, especially traditionalists. But if he's going right, he's going to hit for a ton of power and get on base a ton. And, I mean, his career weighted runs created plus is like 110, 111. It's not great. It's not bad, though. It's not below average. So you can't say he stinks. <laughs> I mean, the problem is he doesn't have a ton of defensive value. Uh, he strikes out too much. Yeah. And, and you can't have play a ton of players like that in your lineup. We've seen that, but I just, and, and I don't want to say that he has to be a part of the team next year, or he's a core piece or that he's the future of this team. None of that is true, but he doesn't stink and he has value in today's game of baseball. And, and he's, he's back to being more of who he's traditionally been this last month. I mean, he's at an extreme level. Uh, right. He's not going to be a 200 weighted runs graded plus. He's not an MVP candidate, but uh, he's just like, I think it's a little much to to we go off the deep end with the in half. There are players like this that are just polarizing. And I think far too often people are just so willing to rip a guy and tear him down rather than say, like, this is a deeply flawed player that has value in various ways. And we need to figure out a way if he fits into the puzzle or not. Uh, and 
I I don't know if he fits into the Cubs puzzle, right? It's just that he has value. I love uh, our friend Jesse Rogers uh, up in the press box whenever like you write about someone and then they inevitably like pop out their first at bat. He'd be like, there's your guy. There's your boy, Moons. So now I encourage all our listeners every time Ian Happ strikes out looking to just flood Sahadev's mentions. Be like, there's your guy. <laughs> there's your guy. Uh, but I, I do I do appreciate the fact that Ian Happ is swinging more and being more aggressive. I think that was you know kind of the end of the Joe Madden era. Uh, if you were a fan or a media person, just Brett might remember this better than I do, but there's this one at bat where Hap like struck out looking with the bases loaded and said something like, I did my job there. And it's like, no, like you don't get points for like your understanding of the strike zone or how it looks like uh, in the tunnel when you go back to the video workstation. And, you know, I do give Ian Hap credit for being a really sharp guy. Uh, he's extremely thoughtful. Uh, he's an interesting person. Uh, he's involved in the players union. Like he gets um, kind of all the elements that go into a good clubhouse. I think it wasn't an accident that like John Lester gravitated towards him, even though he was a lot younger. Like he's he's mature. He's intelligent. And, you know, he has put up some really interesting numbers in unusual ways. And I think to me, it's like the Cubs either believe in him or they don't. And and September really shouldn't matter. Like it has to go back to whatever their evaluation was when they made him like a top seven pick or at least a top nine pick, nine. something like that. Nine. I mean, they've invested a ton in this guy and David Ross seems to trust him. Um, he's got a lot of relationships in the organization. I think, you know, the budget should not be nearly as tight as it was last off season. So if you're talking about a guy making 5 million, if you think he'll be worth it, bring him back. I think it just goes back again to a pre a point that Brett has made over and over. Like Ian Happ or really any other player on this roster can't foreclose the possibility of like another player or another deal or thinking that you're going to pencil like any of these guys into the lineup, 150 games next year outside of, Wilson Contreras has catcher plus DH. I just don't don't really see it. Yeah, a couple things to wrap I that discussion on Hap for now <clears throat> is one thing I think about without going too far on this is just something I'm starting to think about is Hap's only 27 and we're looking at a team that has some guys in the 30s, uh, approaching 30, who are having some surprising uh, success. And you start to think about the possibility that, you know, what if, what if the Cubs at an organizational level are doing some interesting things to help older players develop, to help them sort of take another step, to help them extend, wh whatever it is. And then you think about someone like Ian Happ, who from a talent perspective has all the talent to be a, 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 a much better hitter than he has been, which as Sahadev pointed out, is an above average guy. And so there's just a little part of me that's not clinging to hope that he's going to be more. It's just sort of thinking about this phase that the Cubs are in, like, what if? I mean, we're all seeing what Kyle Schwarber has done with the Nationals and now with the Red Sox. Very similar type of hitter in a lot of ways, by the way. I don't know that we ever made that overt comparison when they were both here, but 
guys who at times would struggle almost because of their own passivity at the plate, want to see a lot of pitches, aren't going to swing out of the zone much, do have a lot of swing and miss in the zone. And so you end up with these huge walk rates, huge strikeout rates, huge power numbers. And I do wonder, uh, it's not something I've investigated, maybe Schwarber's being a little more aggressive this year. Maybe that was the simple mental change getting out of the Cubs organization. Uh, I was reminded of that because like you said, Mooney, that end of the Joe Madden era, I feel like we were talking about guys being too passive all the time. And um, Hap was certainly one of those. And so this, I, I think the most compelling element of this stretch of success for him is how aggressive he's been. Yeah, he's getting fly balls and hitting them hard. Great. But that's really a results discussion. It's not a process discussion. It's not an approach discussion. And so him being more aggressive is is pretty interesting to me. Um, the other thing I wanted to note is it was funny. I had written earlier in the day. Um, stumbled upon the statistic just by accident. I was just curious because I felt like Hap had hit a lot of home runs recently during the stretch that that went right to that left center alley at Wrigley, where it is the shallowest. It's it's basically the easiest spot to hit a home run in all of baseball. Um, it's just that, that little area right there where it's a home run nowhere else except Wrigley Field. And I, I feel like I could remember offhand three of them just in the last two weeks that were right there. And so I checked because StatCast has a metric that evaluates how many home runs a guy should have based on the specific contact he's making. You know, how many home runs would you have in an average size ballpark? And uh, I was not expecting to find it, but sure enough, Hap is the leader in that. He had, uh, at that time, eight more home runs than would be expected based on the quality of contact. It was, it was, he, he was running away with it. And so I wrote a little something just as a note not a criticism of that because a lot of those would have been doubles. They were still very good contact, uh, but it was just sort of like, you know, oh, you know, there's, there's sort of some debatable dingers in this stretch. And so we should keep an eye on that. And what does he do immediately after that? The home run he hit last night was just this gargantuan shot. And of course, Sahadev playing the part of the Twitter troll tags me. He's like, you know, hey, Brad, do you, do you think that would have been out in most ballparks? Uh, so that was, that, was, that was good. Well done. I imagine, you know, Hap, like, finishing his swing and being like, fuck you, Brett. That one's out. Debate that one, bitch. Uh, so good job, Ian. Good good home run. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think we'll leave that there because I think, you know, Hap has always gotten a lot of attention because he was a top 10 pick and because the talent was so obvious and all that. So we don't want to exhaust people too much. But I think for the most part, we're all in the same place, which is that keeping him around going into next year, of course, makes sense. Believing or structuring your offseason in a way such that you are counting on him being an everyday starter in left field or center field and carrying your offense, these things, I think would be pretty irresponsible uh, of the Cubs this offseason. But speaking of the Cubs outfield, speaking of vexatious hitters for the Cubs over the last several years, speaking of guys who helped carry the offense last year in the partial season, and speaking of guys who struggled badly this year, but aren't coming out of it in quite the same way. I'm talking, of course, about Jason Hayward, who had a really nice moment uh, last night walking the Cubs off against the Reds. It, it's There's something really magnetic about those situations where there's the winning run at third, it's less than two outs, they bring in the extra infielder, and all you need is just a fly ball. 
And instead, the hitter just absolutely unloads on it and hits it over everybody. I don't know if that's... I'm sure it's its my own selection bias, a feeling like I've, I've seen that a lot of times, but it just feels like we see that a lot. Maybe it's because the outfielders are playing in as well, and so it feels like these fly balls always go over their heads. I don't know. But that is what he did. Crushed it out off the video board and right. Uh, really great moment for a guy who... Um, Unlike Ian Happ, you try to go back in stretches and you're like, okay, maybe if I just look at the last 20 games or if I look at this stretch, no, there just hasn't been any signal there for him this year. And um, I don't know. Is there anything that can happen? You know, like, let's imagine a world where that home run catapults Jason Hayward over these last three weeks into a scorching finish. Is is his status with the team, his contract, whatever, is that going to combine with that performance to be enough to say, okay, yep, they can head into next season and still think of him as their pretty regular starting right fielder and focus and and ignore any other possibilities for that spot or into the outfield rotational mix in the offseason? Is it different than Hap, I guess is what I'm saying. You're saying, is there any scenario where you go into next season and feel comfortable with him as a starting right fielder? That the Cubs proceed this offseason that way. Like being that like, way, yeah, no. yeah, he's our guy. And so, of course, he's we a, would never He's a part-time Adam. player, I think, going forward. There's two years left on his deal. He's a, he's a solid clubhouse guy. He's respected by his teammates. Uh, we'll see how long they can justify keeping him around, right? How wet... I'm trying to think. Uh, Edwin Jackson was released a year and a half before that deal was expired. Um, if this is, uh, I'll I'll say this. I'm I'm surprised he's been this bad this year. This is his worst year with the Cubs offensively. Uh, he's been, you know, generally okay since 16. If I'm remembering, eh, you know, 17 was bad too. 18 he was average. 19 he was average. 20 he was great, but. You know, that's two months of baseball, so it's hard to really say anything there. I feel like it was unfortunate those two years, like 18 and 19, every single time it seemed like he was getting hot, he'd get hurt, couldn't really sustain that. And he's a very, we talk about Ian Happ being streaky. I mean, go back and look at Jason Hayward before he was with the Cubs. That's who he was. He was a really streaky hitter. And the ups were just a, so much better than the downs that he'd end up being like a 120 OPS plus guy or something, right? Uh, and, and it just hasn't happened with the Cubs. So I don't, I don't know, like this is who he is, I guess not, hopefully not this bad, but maybe slightly below average offense in, in a going forward, if he can somehow recoup some value, but I don't know how you go into next year saying he's a regular, uh, unless you're just forced to play him every day because you didn't make enough moves or there's injuries. But I think even this year, for the most part, he, he was playing part-time before the trade deadline right and i just don't i don't see how how you'd have him be anything more than a veteran around to kind of uh lead by example and then hope that you can find the right matchups to kind of maximize his skill set because he's just he's not even he's not close to what he was when he first arrived and he certainly hasn't been a productive player on offense from that point even so so it's it's just hard to to say much 
to feel much optimism about Hayward, even though last night was a great, you're right. It was a great moment for him. Uh, and it feels like they're having more fun in that clubhouse again, and things have loosened up and they're enjoying this winning, even if it may not matter as far as playoff contention. Uh, and, and I'm sure there are some fans that are frustrated by the wins and the, the dropping of draft status, but you know, this is, they're, they're not going to be playing to, to try and get a higher draft pick. That's for sure. If, Part of the conversation is, would the Cubs actually just write a check and release Jason Hayward? I don't see how that same conversation could include maybe he's our starting right fielder next year. And I think there's probably a middle ground. You could maybe talk yourself into an idea of he brings intangibles. He's a good defender. Maybe with an off season and a different uh, setup next year, maybe some coaching or off season training. He's still not that old and he's still a good guy that, and it's still so much money that you keep him around as an extra outfielder. And I don't think that's like a terrible idea, Um, but it (laughs) certainly is going to be something like, if we've talked in circles about Ian Happ for a couple of years, like that's going to be the, the Jason Hayward conversation. It's not particularly enjoyable. It's pretty awkward. Um, and, and I don't think they're going to be forced into like doing it ASAP or anything like that, but it's going to be kind of in the background and it's only going to get louder the closer we, closer we get to the end, unless he does uh, break out in a way that he – has really never consistently during his time with the Cubs. Yeah, I suppose that's a good way to put it. That because I agree, obviously. I mean that that's a total setup question, but I mean I agree. I don't think there's any plausible finish to this season that sets up the off season such that the Cubs could justifiably say, "Yeah, yeah, we got our right fielder." I just don't see that happening. I do think it is plausible that he enters next season. He's you know maintained on the roster all off season enters next offseason as part of an outfield mix and performs in a way where it's like, okay, maybe there's been some, you know, physical improvement. Maybe there was stuff under the hood this year that we don't know about yet. And he performs well enough that then he's, you know, playing semi semi regularly next year. I, I don't think anybody should say that that's impossible. I'll, um, I'll throw out a plausible scenario that uh, would require, you know, some things happening this offseason, but look at what the Giants did and how they have this out-of-the-box coaching staff and they're maximizing players in a unique way. Brandon Crawford has come back and become a completely different hitter, right? That he never yeah. was before. He looked because toast. Of, like, yeah. It, I he was like, oh, well, I guess he's a decent glove, but he's done. Yeah. And, and you know, due to some coaching and, and uh, willingness to adapt and, and use you know, uh, different methods, he became a different player. Uh, I'm not saying that the Cubs are going to hire new guys. I don't know what their plan is with the coaching staff as of yet. Uh, I'm just saying that that's that's one scenario that you can see uh, happening. Uh, I, I wouldn't put money on it, and I have no clue who the <laughs> what the staff will look like next year, but I'm just saying that that has happened and it's because of new coaches and and the way the game is going and technology and and coaching methods are changing and things things can happen uh, i don't know if it's possible with jason hayward but uh nobody thought 
Brandon Crawford was going to be having the season he's having, and he's on the periphery of the MVP talk, right? All right, last thing before we wrap up, just just little shout out to Alec Mills, who once again, it's almost like last night was maybe the best version of what you can hope to be getting from Alec Mills, where he's he's commanding all of his pitches. None individually are just these wipeout stellar pitches, but they're all usable. He changes speeds and levels, eye levels so well. Um, there's a reason that he's one of the leaders in baseball uh, at uh, the lowest barrel rate. He's just very hard to square up. And uh, that's exactly what last night was. He only got like three strikeouts through six innings, but there just was no good contact. And it has to be so frustrating for a lineup when that happens. And, and that's so that's what you love to see on the other side. I was checking this morning. The numbers against lefties are still not great this year. Um, for him, dramatic improvement from last year and from years past. Um, he has always struggled against lefties and kind of dominated righties. Um, so to feel more comfortable with him being locked into the rotation for next year, you'd just love to see continued improvement against lefties. But at this point, it might be incremental at best. And I think you're Which left. Weird. He's with, got a good changeup. That's weird. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I know. I, I don't know if it's the way he opens up. It's there has to be, or he's just not good. Yeah, maybe it doesn't tunnel well with the the sinker to lefties. Yeah. There, there has to be. I, hey, this is this is your area. If you want to dig in on yeah, yeah. You know, why doesn't Alec <laughs> Mills have more success against lefties, I would read that. I would read that article at theathletic.com. I would subscribe to the Athletic to read that article. Um, but I think as far as the off season goes, because that's what all these conversations are ultimately about. It's how does the performance this year inform the Cubs off season and planning for next year. I I certainly feel better about him being considered a pretty solid member of the rotation heading into next year than I did this year when I think last year he had the no-hitter short season but he was just so sneaky awful against lefties that I was like that's going to be a real pro you know he's one of the widest set of splits that you could find um but at this point in his career you know he's got a full season's worth of starts over the over several years with the Cubs and great numbers like that's just a reality and so at this point when you're trying to fill however many rotation spots the Cubs need to fill um I think you can pretty safely be like okay yeah we could we could count on Alec Mills being in the rotation and that still leaves plenty of room for the Cubs to make additions in free agency yeah I I agree that you know Alec Mills as your fifth starter uh Kyle Hendricks you know depending on what moves they make your one or two or three, uh, but uh, they, you think they they're going to sign two starters better than Kyle Hendricks? No, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. I'm just saying. If, you if hate were, Kyle Hendricks. If if you're if you're a really good team, you need Kyle Hendricks to be your third best starter. They're not going to be a really good team next year. Uh, they'll be their their best bet is to be a competitive team, right? Uh, I think like, but when you go with Alec Mills and Kyle Hendricks as two guys in your rotation, I think what we saw this year, and I think it's just clear, no chance they're going to have go into next season with a better defense expectations than, than they did this year. Uh, you have to get swing and miss guys. If they don't, if they're not getting uh, targeting swing and miss starting, uh, starting pitchers this off season, then, you know, I don't really think it's realistic to call them contenders. It's going to be hard for them to get to that point in general, but you have to get some swing and miss guys. That's just the way the game is. You can't rely that much on contact. 
that much on your defense uh to to win a ton of games uh even even when they did even when their defense was elite in 16 i mean go back and look at the strikeout rates of guys like john lester obviously we know jake arietta was a swing and miss guy at his best uh like they were all they were all well above average even i think that was maybe even hendrix was above average that year in uh in strikeout rate uh or or at least at average so so you can't league average that is so yeah that's that's what i take away from i agree alec mills has been impressive enough that it's like yeah this is a fifth starter that's fine if you want to if you want to give him that spot or tell him he's you know at minimum battling for that final spot but i don't think you give anybody else a spot just yet uh i like what justin Steele's done it, great it, he, he seems to be progressing but we could have said the same thing about uh alzali uh, a few months ago right so so can't take anything too much away from this uh outside of it's just more information to use but there, there are three open spots clearly in this rotation go out and get some some guys that can miss bats and compete for those spots uh but other than that, yeah, give Alec Mills that that nod. He, he's earned it. Yeah, I don't have much more to add. I mean, that <clears throat> pretty much sums it up. I mean, Sir Alec Mills, as Joe Madden likes to call him, <laughs> his body of work uh, has reached an, a you know not insignificant level. And I, I just think whether it's Ross or, or the coaching staff, I think they appreciate the fact that he's you know a grown up. He knows what he's doing. Uh, he's got a ton of composure. He knows how to follow a game plan. He knows his strengths and, and weaknesses. And I think there's a lot of value in all that taken together, even though um, they're clearly – I'm trying to envision next year's defense, like without Rizzo at first base and, you know, a huge question mark at shortstop. Like, And even if it's just like Javi on like a make good deal, like – his defense you're not, go, you're too. not going like, in with yeah. the better second baseman because nico's not going to be playing second base so, uh, so like that could get bad in a hurry they need to kind of not fall in love with their own pitching infrastructure here and just pay money to get guys who get strikeouts yeah that outfield defense could be potentially rough too although rafael ortega if he ends up in a platoon uh out there he's been he's been adequate he's been adequate that's one one nice benefit of wrigley field uh, in as I guess yeah. in relationship to that that Homer comment that I was making, uh, it is it is a good place to play center field. You know, you can you can bring in sort of a, a lesser defensive center fielder and survive. Uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, that was a good good game for setting up these conversations. You know, we got an excuse to get into Hap, into Hayward, into Mills. It's uh, appreciated, and um, like uh, Sahadev said. It, these guys seem to be having a lot of fun with the situation that they're in right now. I think Hayward mentioned playing spoiler. I hadn't explicitly thought about it that way, but that that is if that's what if that's a part of what charges you up right now, then good go, God bless. And uh, we'll be back at you after this weekend. The uh, Cubs will you know try to I don't know. The last time I signed off on a Thursday, I was like, oh, we'll be back at you talking about seven game winning streak, and then we were. So you know. We'll just say that that's going to happen again. Uh, of course, the Giants are coming to Wrigley Field this weekend, which means the return of Chris Bryant, which, you know, people might talk about that. I feel like there might be some conversation about that. Um, <laughs> and so we'll we'll catch up on that next week. This is On to Waveland. I'm Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That is Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic. And we appreciate you as always. 
and we'll talk to you again soon. Take care.